0: Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast, where we talk about interesting recent work in natural language processing.
1: This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence.
0: Okay, so today our guest is Elaine Sewer, who is a PhD student at the University at Cornell University, uh, studying with you of Artsy. And she has done work in, she's interested in semantics and pragmatics and had uh, the best resource paper award at ACL 2017, and she's here with us to talk about it. So thanks for joining us, Elaine. Mm-hmm. Um, this paper that we're going to talk about is titled A Corpus of Natural Language for Visual Reasoning, and uh, the paper introduces a data set uh, that pairs complex, synthetically-generated images with human-generated statements that describe them, and the task is to, is to decide whether this description is true or false. So Elaine, can you tell us what, what was your motivation for creating another data set?
2: So this project initially started as a, kind of a, wanting to study how certain linguistic phenomena like quantifiers were grounded in a visual environment. And we we realized we want to extend this more to uh, s- situated visual reasoning. Um, we found that a lot of the focus in current vision and language data sets was in recognizing a diverse set of scenes and objects or compositionality of concepts, such as like a color and an object. Uh, But instead we wanted to focus on compositionality of linguistic phenomena like negation and coordination and counting.
0: Okay, and, and you said quantification there. I think that's a word that if you haven't studied linguistics or done semantics, you might not be too familiar with. Can you give some examples of the kinds of things you're talking about?
2: Sure, so a quantifier is a word like a, or the, or all, or some, and in this data set, for example, uh, you might have a sentence saying all of the blocks are blue, and in order to resolve that, you have to look at each block in the image, and if every single one of them is blue, then it's true, if anyone is not, they're not true, so that's grounding all to kind of the concept of every single one is blue.
0: So, are there data sets already that handle this kind, these kinds of phenomena?
2: So, there. Uh, when we started working on this data set, there were not any that specifically focused on these kinds of uh, phenomena. Since then, there has been more focus on this. For example, the Clever data set that came out a few months before ours. Um, but at the time, ours was the first that we knew about to focus on this. Okay.
1: Could you tell us a little bit about the construction of the data set, how the data was generated, both the images and the uh, natural language? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh,
2: so the first, uh, first step in, in our data collection process was generating images that would later be annotated. Uh, we constructed uh, or designed these like very small environments that um, were meant to kind of elicit this complex or compositional language should I go into like how these, like what these look like? Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. uh, each image contains three boxes and each box contains several objects. The objects have, uh, three different shapes like circle, square, and three different colors and sizes. So it's kind of restricted in the number of, uh, features, v- very values of the features they can have. Um, the objects are either scattered around in the box or in towers and this was meant to kind of uh, elicit like uh, spatial reasoning and uh, spatial relationships in the language uh, so that's what the, the images themselves look like when we do the generation we first randomly sample properties so like the number of objects in each box and the what properties each object has S- and for a specific sentence writing task, we will generate four images. And I'll go into like why we generate the four images later, I guess. But uh, we start by Im- uh, generating two images randomly, like I described before. And with the last two images, we actually take all of the objects in the first two and permute them across the second two objects. So all the objects in the second two images are the same as the ones in the first two. Uh, so that's the image generation phase. The second phase is then now writing a sentence about this example. Uh, workers were instructed to write a sentence that was true about the first two images and false about the second two images. This was designed so that they were like required to kind of find similarities between images and also like differences. So kind of priming them for complex compositional language. Additionally, we um, because we did the permutation between uh, the objects in the top two images and the bottom two images. This forced them to not write trivial sentences like "there is a blue object" because all the objects will be present in both the true and false images. And, and in fact,
0: it seems like this requires spatial descriptions, right? Because that's that's like the only thing that will that will be different between the two. Is that right?
2: So the the things that will be different between the two are spatial relations. That's true, but because we have the three boxes, um, we now have boxes that contain different different objects.
0: Oh, you're, you're also permuting between the boxes?
2: Yes, between oh, okay. the boxes. I too. didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. So for example, if there were like three blue objects in the top image across all three of the boxes, those three blue objects might be in the same box in the bottom image. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then the final stage was uh, what we called a validation stage, where we separated each of the sentences uh, into four pairs, which with the four images um, and we then presented to a worker an image and a sentence and asked them if the sentence was true or false and we did this in order to increase the data quality because we collected multiple validations and then later removed low agreement examples and also see how how difficult this task was for people
1: to complete so i'm curious to know how how well did people do with uh, this task
2: so we computed a few different standard inter-annotator agreement uh, metrics. We didn't compute basically what the human performance would be exactly. So we computed um, Fleiss's kappa and Crepidorus' al- alpha on the data set. And so the alpha was uh, 0.83 and kappa was 0.81. Both of these are like considered like near perfect or high, very high agreement.
0: Nice. So this sounds like a really complicated setup. Does it need to be this complicated? Why did you iterate on this? How did you arrive at this particular setup? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it is pretty complex. And this was this was because we were ex- explicitly trying to focus on these uh, linguistic phenomena. So um, for one of the reasons, like there's, there's a lot of considerations we took. So maybe I'll just talk about a few of them. Uh, for example, we wanted to pair each sentence with multiple images. This was... Uh, to address, I guess, multiple things. One of them was we don't want linguistic biases in the data that would indicate whether that would indicate the label of the sentence without having to look at the image. So by design, each sentence should appear with both a true and a false label in the data set, uh, which means that it will be very difficult. Like you won't be able to learn whether a sentence is true or false without an image. Um, additionally, this also lets us look more into how we how we understand a particular sentence. So because it's paired with multiple images, we can see uh, whether we fail on at least one of its paired images. Um, This is, uh, so let's, let's see. So this is to see whether we understand the sentence across multiple examples uh, does it, like, does our understanding of the sentence generalize across multiple worlds, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
0: Does, it, does that make sense? Will the same sentence be true of more than one image?
2: So yes, uh, it could be, um, because in the, the initial collection procedure we have four images with one sentence, okay. so it should be true for two and should, should be true for false. So ideally we'd get the correct label uh, for all four of the images. Okay. That could indicate we understand a little better.
1: Yeah. So the um, the objects have multiple properties: their uh, shape, their color, their size, um, and location, right? Uh, which of these did you find that the uh, uh, the natural language generated uh, often refer to? Did people recognize uh, like yeah maybe maybe people tend to talk more about color than they talk about uh, size, for example?
2: Yeah, so we didn't do specific analysis of this, but just my observation when working with this data is people, people, mostly referred to the shape and the color of an object. Very, very few people actually referred to the the, the size of the object. So that maybe our design of the environments didn't make that salient enough uh, for the workers.
0: It's, it's also harder to judge visually, right? And so that might yeah. be part of it.
1: Mm-hmm. And and uh, when you mentioned that uh, the objects are the same, uh, would be like uh, like the, uh, the number of objects of a, of a particular type will be the same. You include in this uh, all the properties, so you're not just making sure that there is a triangle. You're making sure that there is a, a yellow big triangle somewhere in both images, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: That's really interesting. So, how big is this data set?
1: So we have almost
2: 4,000 unique sentences and uh, almost 100,000 pairs of images and sentences together.
0: Wow, so that that means that you have about, each each unique sentence appears about 25 times in all of the examples?
2: Yeah. So um, as I said before, uh, so this 25 example, uh, this 25 figure is uh, actually 24, it's four times six, uh, so four is like the number of images that a sentence is initially paired with. So that's yeah. where the four comes from. Yeah. And six is, uh, the six possible permutations of the boxes in the actual PNG rendering of the image. I
0: see.
2: Uh, we included all six permutations to, uh, kind of as a test to see whether the models were uh, robustly able to, uh, solve the task the same, no matter what the order is. Cause the boxes kind of represent sets in our environments.
0: Did you ever try uh, training these algorithms with only one permutation? Like the, or- the original permutation?
2: Yeah, so not, uh, not intentionally, um, but we did, one of, one of the parts of this data, data set is that selecting a validation uh, set is, is important. Like you have to be very careful about it because you don't want permutations to exist across both your training and your validation set. Right. So when we actually made that mistake, we found that it overfit a lot uh, on the validation set because it was able to learn, at least in this data set, it was able to learn the permutation. Um, so that was kind of
1: cool. That's our results on that sort of thing, yeah. That's so Do you automatically assume that if, um, if a statement is true for uh, a particular permutation of the boxes, it would also be true for the others? Or do you have to ask a crowdsource uh, worker to check that?
2: Yeah, so actually that's another one of the, the reasons we did the validation uh, step. We initially told the workers that they can't refer to the order of the boxes, but we wanted to make sure that they didn't by doing the validation. And in the validation, we actually do shuffle the boxes again to make sure that their answer is consistent.
0: Nice. Um, so how well do current systems do on this?
2: So we haven't actually tried the most like recent results on uh, other visual reasoning Data sets like the relation networks or the N10 module networks. Um, we just haven't had time to do that yet. But we have gotten uh, some like preliminary submissions to the data set as far as uh, the structure representation of the images go. And I guess I haven't really talked about that, but um, basically doing semantic parsing on the sentence and then trying to execute it on these structured representations. And uh, those results are pretty promising, but the the authors have not published anything yet, so I can't really talk about it uh, in detail.
0: So what about what you presented in the paper? You have some baseline models?
2: Yeah, right. So um, so I guess I should make clear that we have two modalities to the data set. We have the images themselves, so the PNG renderings. And we also have this structured representation uh, that dictates like what objects and what properties are in the image. Um, so as far as the the PNG image renderings go. We tried some very simple baselines like uh, CNN and RNN encoding of the image and sentence and then tried to classify, classify them. We also applied the neural module networks approach to it, which did give us the highest uh, results on that modality. Um, as far as the structure representation goes, we uh, we constructed this huge set of features that um, basically parse the sentence uh, into features talking about like, what numbers occur in the sentence and what are various counts of properties in the image, uh, and then just apply a maximum metric classifier on, on that. And that actually gave us the highest result in the data set, hmm. so.
0: I, I noticed the absence of any semantic parsers in the, the work that, uh, in your paper, which was kind yeah. of surprising to me given your co-authors. And so, like, it, is this hard for semantic parsing? Like, why, why, was, why didn't you run any of, any of those?
2: Well, honestly, uh, we, uh, this was a short paper, so we didn't have a lot of room for that. We also uh, didn't want to spend a ton of time, like, trying to come up with seed examples. Um, so th- this is definitely something that we really want results on because we think it's, it's, very, uh, it's a really cool approach. But we just we didn't have the time or the space, space to do that yet.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I guess you could think of the neural module networks as a kind of semantic parser that executes yeah, on the image itself, right?
2: Yeah, okay. in a way. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, so as I read this paper, I thought one one criticism that people might have is that it seems totally artificial, right? You have synthetic, synthetically generated images in this really contrived kind of domain. You have this really convoluted task uh, that forces people to write artificially complex language. I know I've um, I'm thinking particularly of folks at Google and Microsoft who, who like to say that they get real questions um, because that's what people are actually typing into to the query box, and they would never type anything quite so complex as this. Uh, so um, what, do you, what would you say uh, in response to these criticisms?
2: Oh sure, so as far as the synthetic images go, uh, That choice was mostly, um, there were, I guess, two motivations for that choice. One was that we could have some kind of structured representation that would allow for semantic parsing approaches. Uh, And the other motivation was that it made the the data collection procedure a lot easier to control, for example, by ensuring that objects in the images were consistent across the classes. Um, Of course, though, this doesn't necessarily extend to real-life applications of visual reasoning, such as like in robotics. So we're currently working on uh, developing another data set using using real images, um, photographs with a similar data collection procedure. Uh, As far as the the language itself goes, it is pretty complex and somewhat convoluted, I think, but um, this kind of language is not difficult for people to understand. And it also, I think is something that uh, does appear in the real world, maybe not in such uh, a, co- a concentration as it does in this data set. But for example, if you have like a robot that's doing dishes for you, and you say, you know, put the plate on uh, in the cupboard so that the stacks of plates are the same height. Um, this is something that is not totally, uh, uh, I guess, no, it, someone might say this, uh, expecting it to be able to be solved, uh, correctly. Uh, and this, so this kind of complex reasoning is necessary, I think, to applying this work to, uh, like interfaces to robotics or something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I think it's a really interesting data set. And the reason for me that it's interesting is that it isolates, I think, uh, like the, the the, the baby data set, as I've talked about a few times on this podcast, and similarly Clever, uh, the Clever data set that you mentioned earlier, which is very similar but uses synthetic language, the the intent of these tasks is to isolate particular phenomena that we want to study so that we can solve that problem and then move on to more things. And the nice thing about your data set is that it uh, isolates mm, the My criticism of Baby and Clever is that they use synthetic language. It's not actually looking at language and vision because it's not really language. The nice thing about about your data set is that that it lets us study complex composition but with real language. And then you, you came up with a really nice way to actually elicit this complex language that's actually from people and not from a program. And so it lets us actually study language in these constrained contexts. And so if we can solve this, then we can move on to harder things with this next, like, such as this next, next data set that you were just talking about. Yeah,
2: exactly. And uh, um, yeah, another thing, I guess part of the motivation was, can we test uh, the algorithms that we know work on um, data sets like VQA on this slightly more challenging, ling- linguistically challenging uh, data set? It's kind of like a benchmark, right. um, yeah.
0: Great, um, I guess my last question for you, maybe Walid has more, but my last question is, uh, I, I do semantic parsing research. Uh, so uh, we currently have the best result on w- the WikiTable questions data set, which actually seems pretty similar in some respects to this data set, uh, though it doesn't have images. It um, as, as a semantic parsing researcher, what is, what is your pitch to me specifically? Uh, and instead of, I guess we've in this conversation so far, we've talked about like why why this is interesting for for NLP, but for a semantic parsing researcher, why is this particular data set something I should focus on?
2: Uh so I uh so the structured representations that I provide in the data set make it really easy for us to uh, I guess execute uh, some kind of logical form and determine whether or not our parsed sentence is valid with respect to all. All worlds that we give it, I guess. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, so one of the motivations, actually, in creating this corpus and having the task of telling whether a sentence is true or false, it's kind of inspired by like the formal semantics notion of having a sentence's truth, like a sentence's meaning, be the set of worlds in which it is true. Uh, and I think that it it poses a challenge in semantic parsing, focusing not just on uh, kind of coming up with, uh, let's see. Um, so, so the set of entities in the, in the worlds that we propose are, is very, very small. Uh, you know, six or three colors, three shapes, three, three sizes. Um, so the challenge in semantic parsing is less of coming up, like finding new words for new entities as it is in grounding, these linguistic phenomena, such as quantifiers, to operations over this small environment. So.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. And you you hit on uh, a little bit what, what would be my answer to that problem, why I think it's interesting and why we are indeed looking at this, is that um, you only get binary supervision. So the, all of the labels are either true or false. Whereas mm-hmm. with the Wikitable Questions data set, the answers are... Um, they're cells and tables or sets of entities or other other numbers that are counts of things that this is your label. And Pasupat Nyang had had a nice paper showing how to do dynamic programming to enumerate a reasonable set of logical forms given um, these denotations, like the, the, the actual answer. And... Uh, uh, so that's a way to get from question-answer supervision to log- logical form supervision. But with your data set, that, it's, it's a lot harder, right? You all, the best you can do is split your logical form space in half because you only get binary supervision. So you have to be a lot smarter on, in how you go from question-answer supervision to logical form supervision. So it's a, it's a really interesting thing to
2: look at. Yeah, that's a really good point. Also, uh, it, it it does you know, it only has these two classes, but it also has up to four uh, labels for a- each individual sentence. So you do get feedback for each sentence uh, um, with regard to like multiple true or false labels because images or sentences are paired with multiple
1: worlds. Right. Uh, so to close, uh, do you have any like uh, suggestions or uh, disclaimers uh, for people who are actually using the data set? Um, like any caveats that you've experienced when you were the- running the experiments?
2: Uh, so the major thing was choosing the validation set properly. Um, I think at one point there was someone who thought that uh, that their performance on the validation set was like amazing and uh, then couldn't get any farther because uh, once they had fixed the issue with the permutations leaking across um, the validation and training set. So that's like the biggest, I think, uh, the biggest disclaimer as far as working with the data. Um, And then also, uh, I guess maybe a plug is that we have this unreleased test set. uh, So people who are working on this or would like to work on this, um, we can run your code on our, our system and, uh, on that test set. And then we have a leaderboard where we can display the results. So cool. Awesome.
0: Thanks. Thanks for joining us. It was an interesting conversation.
2: Yep. Thanks.